You're listening to The LaunchCast, the podcast about leadership, business, life, and growth with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. It's like food for your ears. The LaunchCast is sponsored today by The Leadership Experience, a coaching masterclass. Intentional, unconventional, thoughtful leadership from keynote speaker, CEO, nonprofit board member, and TEDx executive producer, George Andriopoulos. Hey, it's me. Guys, the music's getting louder, which either means that this is a can't-miss epic course or that Fabrizio fell asleep at the controls again. This music is so damn loud, and that means it's going to be amazing, and that Fabrizio's pay is definitely getting docked this week. Join us, the Leadership EXP, for details. You don't want to miss this. At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the LaunchCast. Goosebumps. Every time. Episode 124, the origin story of the anti-bully with a very special guest today. But first, I am the Launch Dad himself, George Andriopoulos, bringing you your favorite podcast on the planet it's true oh it's damn true and we're doing it right now as the beat drops man that gets me every time that song every time Thank you guys for joining me today I am here today with episode 124 we are still in the COVID series. We are still recording during this quarantine. I hope we are almost through it. Last week, we snuck out to the office for the interview with Fred Banny, and that was just incredible just to be out of the home studio, be in the actual studio, get that sunlight uh, from our our wall-to-wall windows there. But, you know, this is reality. It's a weekday. I got to be at the home studio because we're working from home right now. And so we're continuing and we're still bringing you guests, which brings me to my guest today. Let me get this man up on this screen. Oh, look at that face. There he is. Mr. (laughs) Joe Salamone. Thank you, my friend, for being here today. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So guys, Joe Salamone, let me give you the bio before we jump in. Joe Salamone serves as the executive director of the Long Island Coalition Against Bullying, a position he has held since he founded the organization in 2013. He is a Long Island native originating from North Babylon, New York, and graduate of Suffolk County Community College. Joe has spent his professional career in the medical supplies and technology industry, with 10 plus years of experience in billing, distribution, operations, and currently serves as the executive vice president and of program and service development for the National Medical Supplies and Technology Company, Televita, headquartered right on Long Island. Um, Joe has spent most, 
He had spent most of his primary and secondary educational years as a victim of bullying, which is going to be a huge theme for us today. And his vision for the organization, LICAB, is simple, to reach as many children and their families experiencing bullying, create an environment that keeps the emphasis on the importance of the issue, and all while demonstrating financial diligence and respect with the public's generous contributions. Joe, your your mission with ICAB, it, it, it speaks to me. It's spoken to me since uh, I found out about your organization. We've known each other for a number of years now. Um, you know, we're in the same scene when it comes to business and networking and, and all that stuff. And I, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to start this interview the way we always do. Joe, are you a leader? I try to be. Uh, <clears throat> that's a, it's a very loaded first question. Uh, I would say, uh, I would say yes. I strive to be. Uh, I hope I'm viewed as one. Um, you know, I, I'm always the type of person who likes to grab the bull by the horns and get to the front of the pack and, uh, you know, try to find solutions to problems, which I think is is very uh, key for a leader. Uh, you know, I try to, in both the for-profit and non-profit worlds, always try to uh, ask people uh, or, or really implement the idea that don't come to me with a problem, come to me with a solution to the problem. I'm, I'll hear problems you know, any day of the week, but I like people who will also bring solutions to those problems too, which I think is part of what a leader is supposed to do, motivate people to find solutions to the issues that they see. So you know, you may get some people who disagree that I'm not one, but I, I strive to be. And I use the word strive because I don't think anybody's ever done learning. And I think that's another key characteristic of a leader, always, you know, recognizing that you have weaknesses and trying to improve on those weaknesses. So I, I would consider myself to be. I know I have a lot of work, uh, you know, still had to do, but I, I would hope I'm considered to be one. Yeah, well, uh, I'm going to tell you right now that from my perspective, you're absolutely a leader and the number one factor in that for me, the characteristic that I see, you know, we always follow that question up with what is your definition of a leader, which you, uh, you really covered in that answer. For me, the definition of a leader is, sim is as simple as just standing up and saying, I'll do it, right? For me, that is, that is the most simple, fundamental definition of a leader. But on the same token, you know, it takes a lot to, to earn the moniker of leader, uh, it takes a certain amount of sacrifice, takes a certain amount of work and accomplishment when you're in a, a bigger arena like you're in right now. But particularly with what you do, there's a lot of servant leadership behind what you do. And we're going to get into the type of leadership much later on in the show because that's on the agenda. But for me, that's an automatic pass, go, collect $200. That servant leadership, when you are doing something that's benevolent, um, when you are doing something that benefits so many other people at your own expense sometimes. And what I mean by that is I don't mean money. I mean time. I mean, yeah. I mean the, the, uh, the, the, the weight of what you do on your soul too, man, because we're, we're going to get into that conversation. But this is heavy work that you do and so close to you. And so to get into that, we're going to go way back. We're going to go way back. We're going to start at the beginning like we always do. Feel free to fill in the gaps here, but I want to particularly focus on the childhood. I want to focus on sixth grade to 11th grade, 12th grade, that time period when the bullying was happening to you, both physical and verbal. Talk to me about what your childhood looked like 
going into this time? I mean, pre sixth grade when it was just young Joe. Uh, young Joe when I had hair, young Joe. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, I, to be honest with you, pre sixth grade, I don't really remember too much because so much of my life has been dictated by what happened sixth grade forward that it's kind of muddied the waters a little bit as far as how clear, you know, the days prior were. I mean, I guess I was a normal kid. Uh, you know, we, uh, we moved, uh, from North Babylon, uh, in the summer between fifth and sixth grade. Uh, so, you know, I said goodbye to North Babylon. I finished at Marion G. Vetter elementary school. Uh, and, uh, we moved uh, in July, uh, actually just shy of uh, 4th of July. And, uh, we, we moved to Deer Park. Um, I was a very, uh, you know, any kid who just moves to a new town is obviously going to have this. So it's not exclusive to me, but you, I definitely went through like a withdrawn kind of phase. Everybody's kind of feeling it out. The, the new house, things yep. like that getting settled. Um, and you know, my, uh, the other thing, a uh, part of that too, was, uh, my cousins from Florida were up, uh, that summer when we moved. So they, and they were for several weeks. Uh, so, I didn't really venture outside the house because I didn't really have a reason to because I had my family here and, you know, things like that. Um, when we got to the point of school starting, um, you know, I had met some of the neighborhood kids before then. That's kind of when the bullying started. Well, you know, it was before really we even started school. Um, but uh, when I started school, I had no idea where anything was, where my locker was, who teachers were. I had gone on maybe a 20 minute guided tour by a guidance counselor a week before school started so that I was, you know, uh, a little bit more sure of things. Not that it helped because when you work, walk into school the first day, you've got all those jitters and then add yeah. on to the idea that you have no idea what you're doing or where you're going or who anybody is. And a tour that anybody tried to give you a week before is not something you've remembered. Um, but, uh, you know, when you start a new environment with no friends, you are immediately singled out as, you know, the quiet kid, the kid that's alone, you know, the loner, the weird kid. Making friends has never been something I've been very good at. Um, I am a very intense personality. I've been that way since I was younger. So, you know, that that doesn't necessarily, you know, br you know bode well. Um, but, you know, whatever that case is, it, you know, it. it I think it shaped me to be the person I am today. So I guess it, it's for a, you know, for a good reason, but, um, that's kind of really when it all started. And when I say started, I mean, everything from, you know, the, the getting picked on in the hallways, the getting, you know, called names, the having, you know, when we started to change for gym, you know, having my clothes stolen and, or, you know, swapped out or hidden or things like that. Um, posters being put up in the school with my, you know, a photocopy, you know, back then it wasn't, you know, what we have today. It was like taking a picture of me, putting something over it and making a photocopy of it, you know, old school, uh, and, you know, leaving them places and things like that. When I would get home, uh, I would, you know, the, the friends, so to speak, would, uh, ask me to play manhunt with them. Uh, I'd go, uh, you know, this started in the summer too. Uh, where they'd leave me places, you know, that they tell me they were the best hiding spots and they really were the best because they never had any intention of looking for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, so things like that. Um, you know, and to an extent, there's so much that 
I kind of have repressed even as much as I remember, there's still so much there that I don't because I've blocked a lot of it out. Um, so, you know, that's, 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 I guess, very, the, the extended answer of kind of where it started. Yeah. And, and again, we don't have to get into, um, every single specific of it, but it was a tough time, right? It was just a tough time. And it's something that I think most people can relate to. And particularly, I think that, you know, as we go further into this interview and we delve a little bit into the psychology behind bullying, because I know you you have some insight of that, you know, just from your professional experience through LICAB and, of course, your personal experience, um, I think a lot of people can relate to it, and that includes bullies themselves. I think they can understand the psychology behind it because I, I just have this, and based on personal experience, um, I have this instinct with a lot of bullies, this gut feeling that the bullying comes from bullying. You know, um, I know with myself, that was something that I went through. I know with, uh, certain other bullies that I know or have known in my life, that's something that they went through. And so I think it's an, it's a characteristic of a lot of bullies that they don't necessarily talk about too much. Um, but during this time for you, during this time for you, you know, being in your formative years and then in ninth grade, there was a suicide attempt and it was unknowingly thwarted by a teacher of yours, right? Yes. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily go as far to say it was an attempt plan. It was the, 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 the diversion from the path was before the attempt, uh, luckily, uh, because I was at the point where there wasn't going to be an attempt. It was going to be successful. Um, when I started ninth grade, uh, it was, uh, you know, I, I, not so much anymore from what I hear, but, you know, th- there were the freshman Fridays where the seniors would pick on the freshmen and, yep. you know, things like that. So I was like, I'm going to start a brand new set of four years that could be worse than the last three. And I just couldn't sign myself up for that. Um, so I wrote a note. Um, I wrote a list of all the things that I wanted, uh, people to have after I was gone. Cause you know, when you're gone, you knew you don't need things. Um, and I went to school. I hadn't necessarily decided when I wanted to actually do it, but I had everything done just in case, you know, whenever that, that, that breaking point was reached, the, the, the preliminary prep stuff was done. Um, I hadn't even really given too much thought into how I wanted to do it, but, um, so I, you know, when I went to school, it was the second week of uh, freshman year and my English teacher randomly says to me, uh, I want you to stay after school today. And I'm like, you know, why, you know, like, (laughs) you know, I got plans that don't involve staying after school. So I, I went to, I stayed after and she wanted me to join yearbook club. And I'm like, you know, who joins yearbook club? Uh, and eventually I kept going back. Um, and eventually it got to the point where the kids there that I thought on the first day might just be a whole new set of kids that didn't know me who are now going to abuse me were actually the kids that I give a lot of credit for saving me. Mm. Um, and I ended up burning the note and the list. Uh, and never, you know, kind of never looked back on that. Uh, I mean, I think as everybody, you know, in today's day and age, I would think that the list of people who have contemplated something like that, maybe not going to the extremes I did, but have thought about what life might be like without them here, 
is probably something that everybody at one point in their life has had. Um, the scary thing is, is probably more kids today than ever think of something like that. Um, but luckily I didn't, I, I had an intervention, uh, which by the way, that teacher didn't know that she intervened that way yep. until 2014, about almost 10 years after I, I graduated. Wow. Wow. That's Nor did my parents know that it came to that point either. Almost came to that point. Well, that's, that's what I wanted to ask you uh, in a little bit. I want to ask you first, though, based on these experiences, and not just the bullying experiences, but the trauma of having gone through a plan to end everything, what kind of, what kind of effect has that had on you today? And I'm not talking about um, necessarily everything that's gone on with LICAB. I just mean from a personal perspective, that PTSD perspective, right? We find purpose through pain sometimes, and and I know what the explanation is going to be for LIGCAB, but you know when we talk to leaders on this show, Joe, we, it's, it's all about the unconventional journey. It's all about the audience listening to this journey that this leader has gone through and hearing something that might spark something with them and go, yeah, I've been through that, and, and look at this dude now. This guy is the executive director of an of, an incredible organization that's a successful organization as well that's helping people and is financially sound and look what he went through you know he almost ended it potentially and he got through it so maybe me maybe my situation maybe that's similar maybe i can get through it too so that's why i ask about these particular feelings because there may be somebody out there now that's feeling the the remnants that's feeling the ptsd that came from those moments so can you speak on that a little bit Sure. I mean, for me, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's something that about that that will, from an experience like that, that will always stay with you. Uh, and I get asked all the time when I get to that point in a workshop, let's say at a school, that one of the questions I will always get asked is, if you could do it over again, would you? And, you know, would you make any changes? And you know what? Back then, I would say I would never do this again ever. Now, all of that stuff has shaped me into the person I am today. Now, for the good and the bad, the PTSD helps me remember the lowest point I've ever been at and how to kind of recognize, engage, like, you know, all right, maybe I'm having a bad Tuesday, but you know what? I'm not having nearly as bad a day as I was then. Yeah. And it kind of allows things to fall relatively into perspective. Um, but conversely, I'm 33 years old and I still have anxiety. And some of that anxiety is because of how close I came. And some of that anxiety is because of who caused it. Um, you know, so both negative and positively, those, those things, you know, kind of always stay with you and will always motivate, you know, at least motivate me, you know, for, for the good and the bad, you know, the good allows me to battle back the bad. Um, but I, I, own the bad at this point. I mean, it, it's part of my story. It's part of who I am. It's part of what's become my life's work. So, you know, I think it's all, you know, I never thought, you know, X number of years later that I would feel like, you know, I'm glad I went through that, but you know what, it, it did, does kind of teach you the strengths that you have. Can you, can you pinpoint, and I don't mean this as a specific moment that, that changed things, but a lot of times we talk about these spark moments on this show and within my leadership coaching, we talk about these moments that happen and we look back and it could have been a pivotal moment. It could have been just a point 
that was a, a checkpoint in life, right? When you look at a video game, they have those checkpoints where you can go back to it and restart. Um, yeah. And so with sometimes there are these points that just become a marker in time where you can kind of relate what's been going on back to that point and go, yeah, it happened around that time. Can you remember one specific moment of bullying that sticks out in your mind? Um, I'd have to say the, the getting kind of the kind of getting left behind when they were, uh, uh, when they would ask me to play manhunt with them. Because to me, in my head, I wanted to do the right thing by the team and not come out too early and, and you know, get caught, even though I kind of had a suspicion that they were doing it on purpose. Um, you know, uh, the other thing about that particular example is that uh, every time I was invited, I kept going back. You know, and I knew what was going to happen. But I did that for my parents because I wanted to try to show them that I was making the attempt to make friends, um, you know, and, and regardless of what kids say today, I'm going to get uh, off on a slight tangent here. Regardless of what kids will tell you today about what they care and don't care about how their parents feel, the number of things that kids will do to satisfy their parents and to get their approval is, I would think, almost endless. Like in my example, you know, going back out with a group of people who, you know, were not going to treat you nicely, but kept going anyway. Um, you know, so uh, but I'd have to say that, uh, you know, there are times that I could still feel the punches that I got. I can still feel, you know, I could I, I could still taste, you know, a tear from some of the things that they would say. Um, but I'd probably have to say that those are probably the most, you know, the noteworthy, the ones that kind of really stick out if I think about an example. You mentioned your family during that time. I'm I'm curious about not only how they supported you or if they supported you, but I'm curious what was family like what was family life like back then for you? Uh that's part of what the issue was. My parents were actually going through a separation at the time. Uh you know, they they pre sixth grade they had gone through a separation, they had reconciled. Um so there was a lot of that. There was, you know, some tumultuousness in the, 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 the family world. Um, which, you know, that, that definitely shapes you into being a kid who's unsure of themselves, who doesn't know, you know, which parent they're supposed to kind of, you know, uh, cozy up to, I guess you'd say, you know, you know, who do you have to impress the most, things like that. So there was definitely that kind of time period in there. Um, and, and family life was never really that great. I mean, I never, I was never the kid who, had more than they needed. I never had less than I required, but I had I never really had more than that. Um, we were never the family that went on vacations. You know, we were the, never the family who had more than what we needed just to live life. Sure. Um, you know, and I think that that's definitely a motivation for what happened. And you know, because you know, when a couple people catch on to you wearing the same clothes a lot, because you know, you're wearing what you got, things like that. Um, you know, and that also, that really all whittles back down to kind of family. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have said make any changes, but, you know, I, I don't think I had a crappy family life, but at the same time, I know that I didn't have the family life that, you know, some kids have today or, or what kids today kind of, you know, expect sure. life to be. Sure. Yeah. What 
did it look like in terms of the bullying with your family? What type of support? Did your family know what was going on with the bullying? Uh, to an extent. Uh, my mother was definitely the person that I would talk to more about it. Um, my dad eventually, my dad was definitely the old world thinking of, you know, just, you know, walk up to them and knock them out type where my mom was kind of more of the, you know, that's not a long-term solution to the problem. Yeah. Um, uh, but they didn't know everything. Uh, the catalytic moment for that I distinctly remember uh, was when they when I told her was when they stole my glasses on the bus. They had dumped my backpack. They stole my glasses and they didn't give them back. Um, I had walked through the bus, cleaned everything back up, but I didn't know that they had taken the glasses. Um, and uh, when I got home, I realized that they were gone and I just put myself right to bed. Now, after a couple of days of that, uh, you know, my mother started to catch on to the fact that, wait a minute, you know, there's a problem. Uh, and that's when I kind of, you know, told her more than she already knew, um, and kind of, kind of filled in the blanks that she didn't know. Right. Right. Speaking of childhood, a little birdie told me looking at aspirations, a little birdie told me that you wanted to be the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. Uh, you I had did. you had aspirations of of potentially having a, a career in public office, right? I tried twice. Actually, I graduated high school in 2005, and I ran in 2006 and in 2007 for the Deer Park School Board. Um, I lost both times, uh, but you know that in that one example, that's pretty uncharacteristic for a person of who has gone through what they went through to be like. You know what? You know, for the last, you know nine years, I've been told how terrible I am and what I'm never going to amount to. And now here I am graduating high school, waving my diploma and now putting myself out there for the voters to now assess me. Uh, you know, so that was an interesting experience. Um, I loved every minute of it. Um, I ran against a 12 year incumbent and I lost by 102 votes. So I came really close the first year. Um, but I've learned that politics is not necessarily the world I necessarily want to want to play in. I, I love reading about it. I am still a politically opinionated and well-versed person, but it isn't necessarily the lifestyle for me. And I think uh, a lot of people have accused me over the past seven years of using LICAB as a, you know, as a stage to propel my name recognition. And every election year, when are you going to run? When are you going to run? I don't have any intentions of running. And the reason now is more than ever your family is not off limits anymore. And I can't, as a selfish decision, put my family through, you know, the, the mudslinging that is the political world now, which is unfortunate because a person like me who's passionate and has good intentions, that's what scares you away from doing things like that. But I, uh, I'll always dream about what it's like to be on Air Force One and sit at the, in the Oval Office. But uh, I just know that I've now realized that I won't get there. You know, uh, I tend to disagree with what you were saying about how it's unchar uncharacteristic of a person that went through what you went through to come out of school and just start, you know, hey, judge me some more, you know, vote <laughs> on me. But in reality, that really leads up to why I named the episode what I did. Uh, a lot of times when we look at leaders and how a leader becomes a leader, I always ask in my leadership coaching class the question. It's a philosophical question for the cohort that's taking the class. Are leaders born or made? And it's always a 50-50 split in the yeah. answer to that question. I tend to be 
of the mindset that leaders can be born, but more often than, than not, leaders are made. Leaders are, you know, they come out of the fire and they're made. And so in certain stories, it's a progressive growth of a leader that develops somebody. And that's the more well-adjusted stories. Then you have the comic book version, right? And that's why I call this the origin story of the anti-bully, because you have the comic book version where there's a trauma. There's this thing. There's, you know, the fire in the lab. There's the, you know, the parent getting murdered, right? That just turned the person into the superhero. And so this trauma sometimes takes that leadership and it fast tracks it. And what it does is it doesn't teach us how to be that leader, but it gives us the purpose of a leader. And I think that you came out of high school having an experience for six, seven years that was not what a student in junior high school and high school should be experiencing. And I feel that, you know, the purpose behind it was to fix these problems and how better to fix it than being on a school board, right? Yeah, well, that was kind of the motivation for it. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll agree with that. Um, I I do agree, going back to what you said, that either they're either born or they're made. Um, you know, I think I always have a, a, a slight um, aversion towards kind of flowing with people and flocking towards people who are more reluctant leaders, the people that know they are, but they, the more reluctant you are about being a leader means that you're doing it, as far as I'm concerned, for the right reasons. You're not in it for the power and the prestige and the getting you know, people to follow you. I fundamentally believe that the art of a good leader is not to create more followers, but it's to create and inspire more leaders. Uh, you know, I don't I don't want to know that I've got 500 people behind me. I want to know that when I die, that I did something that's going to create the next 500 people who will then go create 500 more. Um, but, you know, uh, I did want to tackle the problem from where I thought it was. I outlined five or six problems that I thought the district had, knowing what I knew as a student. And the school board was really the first and only place where you could really bring about any kind of desired change. So I, I guess you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. I think that this sort of goes in line with what I was going to ask you next. Adulthood for Joe Salamone, the person that had gone through all of those things that you had gone through. Did adulthood turn into an opportunity to break away from the younger bullied version of Joe? For a time period, it did. And then, you know, for a little while, all of a sudden it, it circled right back to not only am I going to go back to it, but now I'm going to, you know, wave a flag about it and talk about it all the time. So for a while, there was a little running and a little opportunity to redefine myself. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I nothing in my life have I ever considered to be spectacular. You know, I don't I don't I don't have those kind of stories. You know, I I, I had to work, you know, as quickly as I could. Uh, you know, so when I was 15, I got a job at McDonald's and, you know, I've just been working, working, working and doing little things here and there. So, you know, the, the post high school pre LICAB days is, is kind of a blur. I mean, LICAB's only been around for seven years, but you know, I really don't remember what life was like before that. Uh, you know, I, uh, I still kept in touch with, with some people from high school and stuff like that. Um, social media was really starting to experience its birth. You know, we had MySpace in 2003 and then we had Facebook come in 2004. Uh, you know, so 
it was really on the social media kind of the wave was starting to rise. Um, but beyond that, I don't really remember what life was like realistically. And, and I think maybe some people would argue that it's because LICAB has become so much of my life, maybe to a detrimental degree that I maybe have lost my own identity in the process. But, you know, I, I guess, I guess that sometimes happens. Well, that's something that I was going to touch on. And I feel that there is a, a clear line, right? I feel that there is a clear line in the sand where there's, there's Joe and then there's bully Joe. And then that line is really bullying the purpose behind what you do. There's the past, there's the present and somehow they meld together because of purpose, right? Um, you know, sure. I don't want to get too philosophical about it, but it's tough. You know, when you're a leader, especially a servant leader, it's really tough, but I am of the mindset that even as a servant leader, that you have to make sure that you're allowing time for yourself. You have to make sure that there's an identity outside of that. And I'm sure there, there obviously is. I know you more on the professional side of things. And even with this interview, I hate that the theme of every single question is bullying. But look, what's one of the reasons we're here? You know, I'd love for people to just get to know my friend Joe as, as a person, but why are we here as servant leaders? We're trying to get the word out on the cause. Right. You know, you're 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 out here trying to promote what your organization is doing and try to make some lives better. And that's you know, and if it's at the sacrifice of of telling the world who we really are, you know, sometimes you it's know, so would be I, it. I, you know, so this actually just came up. This is a really interesting uh, point of conversation. Uh, our social, Lightcap social media manager, uh, and I have a call every Friday. Um, and, uh, one of the questions she asked me last week was, you know, is it all right that I tag your Instagram in all Lycaps post? And I said, no. And she said, you know, well, why not? And I said, because I don't, the Instagram, there's some Lycap stuff on Instagram, but Instagram is really the only place where I still have me. You know, I've given my Facebook away a long time ago. I mean, some of the picture, you know, the pictures linked to Facebook, but Facebook has become such a marketing and a networking tool for me that I don't post the really private nitty gritty stuff and share that kind of stuff on, on Facebook because it's not, it's not for that. So, you know, I have to be, and this is, this is mainly why servant leaders in particular, I think will all experience this. I don't have a, a Joe on social media. There are things I can't say as Joe because unfortunately the lines are so blurred. Most people in Facebook world don't know Joe. They know Joe, who's the figurehead and the, the, the front person for a public institution. You know, and, and there is, you know, you as a business owner know that. You know, you you there are things that George can get away with, and then there are things that, you know, if you did you might personally be able to say, well, what's the problem? But then people may turn around and say, well, on a ref as a reflection of your brand, you shouldn't have done that. So there is that kind of catch-22 between how much of yourself do you give away because yourself is now synonymous with what you represent. So, you know, there's yeah. this. And, and I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't always walk the line the right way. And sometimes I will always err more on the protecting LICAB and selling Joe out rather than the other way around. Right. Right. We, we've had this conversation before, even when something comes up in the news and something that I, 
you know, because of the type of brand I have, I may be able to tackle an an issue or a topic a little bit quicker than right. the executive director of a, the coalition against bullying can, especially when it's related to bullying. Because obviously, you have to vet a situation. You have to make sure that you know you guys are on the right side of the issue, of course. And I completely get it. I still toe that line with my own business. And yeah, it's weird when. You do make the attempt. I made the attempt a long time ago to have the public figure profiles of George Andriopoulos alongside with Launchpad and the Launchcast and all that stuff, and then still have my private Facebook page. But somehow, yeah. somehow, it yeah. still got sterilized and turned into another public figure page Yeah, <laughs> for me. So, yeah, I completely feel where you're coming from here. I have a quick question before we yeah. move on to... Lycab itself and and the the founding of Lycab. Uh, I mentioned it a little bit before. When you became an adult, and and you know, I know those years are a little bit of a blur to you, but you know, we have social interactions as adults, and again, we can sort of reinvent ourselves. Not even so much reinvent ourselves, but just realize that sometimes that petty crap that we went through in school, you know, the situations surrounding why somebody was bullied, you know, how, how trivial those items were that somebody would, would bully you on, although so heavy to you as a person being bullied, right. In the grand scheme of things, they don't matter. And we realize that as, as adults and we outgrow those things. You know, we realize, especially those who may have been bullied when they're younger. And then all of a sudden it's 10 years out of school and they're successful. And they look at the bullies who are still living in that world And you go, man, like, how could you not have outgrown what's important to you? But sometimes we fall into that trap. Have you ever in your adult life become a bully in response to what you went through? Uh, I'm sure I have. Uh, I can absolutely say yes to that question when I was in school. Uh, I, you know, most one of the more common causes of why a kid is engaging in bullying behavior is because they're responding to their own experiences of being bullied, probably at the same time. Uh, but sure, you know, I, I listen, I, I know that I have a, a, a temper every once in a while. I know that I could be moody. I don't think I go out of my way to put people down on a consistent basis. And I think that's a key thing there. Uh, is the intent to cause somebody harm. I don't wake up every day and intend to cause somebody harm. A bully does. Um, you know, but I'm sure I've said unkind things to somebody, you know, and, and, and you know, uh, I, most people do. Um, so, you know, as a kid, I'd say I definitely became a bully. I think as an adult, I probably, you know, every once in a while engage in that behavior just because, you know, emotions and human nature takes over, but I don't wake up with an intent to cause somebody repetitious harm on an ongoing basis. So I, I, I think there's everybody exhibits unkind behavior from time to time, but I, I, I don't necessarily know that I would classify myself as a bully now, obviously, but, or engaged in the behavior, but, uh, the, the, the fine line between unkind behavior and bullying is, is something we stress on a consistent basis because it, it really goes to the root of your question. You have to understand what is and is not bullying, you know? And, and so as a kid, definitely as an adult, I'd probably say I engage in unkind behavior from time to time, but it's not with, with the motivation to intend to cause somebody harm or, or, you know, 
It's something that I think a lot of people need to be aware of, especially people that are introspective and are willing to work on themselves. For myself, and you and I have talked about this a little bit, um, I didn't go through any kind of massive bullying in school. You know, there were times in elementary school and a little bit in early high school that I had some moments that were just really uncomfortable for me. And um, yeah, it was it was bullying to to the degree that I can... I can really tie today to issues that I'm self-conscious about today that still tie to fifth and sixth grade, you know, sure. um, you know, people always joke with me that my hair is always, you know, perfectly quaffed and, and, and always made up. Well, guess what? Because I have an eczema issue and a dry scalp issue. And if any of that seeps out of here, it's that PTSD of somebody's going to say I have dandruff. You know, and and just like it was in elementary school. And it's it's tough. And what happened, you know, going forward, especially in my college years and, and in my 20s primarily, is that there was so much power that was taken from me during those moments that when I realized how strong of a person I was, I flipped the script and I had to exude that power in a way that just over the years became bullying big time. You know, and, and, you know, we've talked about this before, but I was not a good dude back then in my 20s. I was not somebody that interacted with somebody in a way that they would feel good about most of the time. Even with close friends, it was always just ridiculing and, you know, poking fun. And it was to get a laugh, but at whose expense, right? right. And so, you know, getting to my 30s and just going through a bunch of stuff and a transformation, and you kind of realize, like, shit, man. <laughs> You got to be kind. Why am I doing this? You know, it 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 happens. I mean, and look I, again. I I think everybody falls into that that bucket sometimes. That you know, you'll find yourself you know at a backyard party, and you know, people forget that gossip is definitely a form of bullying. You know, and I think human nature when you're when you, everybody's kind of gathering around and everybody's kind of talking about one topic you do before you know it kind of slide into you know backbiting and you slide into that you know making jokes at other people's expense whether they're in the room or not um you know and we all need to be more mindful of that and i will never walk around and say that i got a red cape on my back and i am a perfect human and i never do things like that because you know what i am a human i recognize my faults but you know when i catch myself i always stop myself you know, and I do try to avoid people and conversations that will bring that out of me because we all have it in us. It's who you choose to associate with that I think is how the person is able to put that part of everybody in check. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it. Uh, again, just as you as you get older and you realize what's important in life and you realize how to handle these situations, right, just not putting yourself in a room with those people, not being associated with negative people. Your friends are your friends. You, you, I can't not be friends with you. You're my friend. As an adult, it's like, you know, thanks, yeah. but I'd rather sit home than, good. than be with you. Absolutely. So let's jump into LICAB a little bit. So uh, 2013, May of 2013 is when the idea of LICAB came for you. You were sitting in a hospital waiting room. You saw a special needs person that was being bullied and no one in the room did anything. And this is sort of when everything began to happen with LICAB. What was running through your head, not just at the fact that there was a special needs person that was being ridiculed and bullied, but the fact that nobody stood up and did anything? Nobody, including me, uh, which was 
part of the uh, the problem, and I recognize that immediately. So there's there's something uh, in in the psychology world called the bystander effect. The more people in a room, the less likely that somebody is going to actually do something about a situation that they don't like. Um, and it, that night was absolutely a a perfect uh, example of that. Um, honestly, what was going through my head was I wanted to scream. Uh, my choice, as I saw it then, were to either make a big scene and cause a problem, which probably wouldn't have done anything to actually deter their behavior, but probably more so likely got me in trouble. Um, so I ended up doing nothing. But for the rest of that night, I'm like, something has to be done. A world where that can happen is not a world that we should have. And for all the people that were before that will run around and say, there's plenty that schools are doing about bullying, parents pay attention to bullying, a world where kids would sit in a crowded waiting room in a hospital and do that to somebody else exhibits two things. First of all, not enough was being done to teach them the opposite way to actually behave. And two, not enough is being done to empower other people to stop behavior that is not appropriate. So that's that's really when I was like, wait a minute, we need to be the, the some kind of an answer. You know, I'm recognizing a problem, but at the same time, we need to be part of the solution. Right. July of that year was your first board meeting. And by September 5th, 2013, it was official. Long Island Coalition of Bullying, Long Island Coalition Against Bullying was born. Uh, your mission statement to emphasize the importance of the bullying issue through therapeutic outlets, education, and awareness. Now, you guys, something I've noticed is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, you guys are really one of the only organizations out there with your feet on the ground, Right. Dealing with individuals specifically that are being bullied as opposed to just the greater cause. Correct. So I can, a lot of people consider us to be an awareness organization, but I think we're deeper than that. Our existence brings awareness to bullying, but it's what you do beyond that. I look at us like an onion, you know. The, the, the onion itself is awareness. You see an onion, you know it's there, you have awareness of an onion. You see Lycab's name, you know it has to do with bullying, it brings awareness to bullying. But what do you do beyond that? So yes, we are the only organization that actually intervenes into a direct situation. We will sit on the phone and talk to families and talk to kids who reach out and tell us about a problem. We will send care packages to kids who we talk to and who know, they you know who tell us and confide in us that there's a problem. We will advise them on how to talk to the schools, both uh, and show them that, wait a minute, you know, as bad as you think it is, the school's actually doing the right thing here. We're not just a gotcha, you know, we're not looking to catch a school in a problem. You know, and that that's definitely a major thing we fight back on a lot. Um, but, you know, we we definitely are not afraid to show a family, you know, that a school is doing the right thing when they are. If they're not, we show them how they can kind of improve on that. Um, but we the biggest one of the biggest things that we do is the direct one to one uh, work with an individual family. Yeah. Now, as the leader of this organization and watching what you guys have accomplished over the years, we're going to get into some specific services that you offer in a minute. As the leader of this organization, you know, having this this thought, this inspiration, this spark moment to to start this movement, and then you put a group together, which was what, seven people originally? When we started, yeah. When you started, seven people, and you start this organization, and you guys just go to town. Um, what was the thought process behind the leadership and specifically 
I know where you lie in the leadership spectrum in the grand scheme of things, right? Because you're you're 100% a servant leader um, in the grand scheme of things in terms of your purpose and mission. But then there's how we run our organizations, which sometimes is different. I think for myself that I am also a servant leader overall, but I tap into different strengths of different leadership models. So I'm going to actually talk about these leadership models, and I want you to tell me where you think you fall in terms of running the organization. So we have the strength-based leadership model, which obviously just operates on taking your strengths as a leader and using those strengths to, to run an organization and to lead others. There's servant leadership, of course. There's transformational leadership that is based on what the change is going to be, what that transformation is going to be. In, in not only the people that you're leading, but the cause that you're in front of. There's adaptive uh, leadership, which is about innovating, problem solving, looking at a problem that doesn't have a solution and coming up with a solution to that problem. And then there's leader member exchange. Leader member exchange is a little bit out there in terms of being called a leadership model. But what happens with that is it's the idea that there is a leader, and then there's an in-group. They're, they're the people that immediately just understand what you're about, and they're on board, and they follow your thinking process, and, and they're all about everything you do. But then there's also an out-group. There's the outliers that don't necessarily agree with what you're doing or understand what you're doing. And in that model, that leader is able to not only capture the in-group, but they're apt, they're able to engage and capture the out-group and bring them in as well. So when we talk about those five models outside of servant leadership, we're going to knock that one out. Where do you think your strengths lied mostly in building this organization? Uh, the last three, transformational, innovated, and the, the in and out groups. The leader member uh, exchange, yeah. Yeah, the, the leader exchange is probably the easiest one to tackle. There are definitely people who come to us uh, because they've heard about me and they just are, you know, one volunteer has said, you know, I, I, I heard about your story and I, I needed to know you and I, you know, things like that, which that honestly, those are not really the people that I like to be around. I, I am not trying to be some kind of, you know, intrinsical figure that that's got a spell on people. I actually like the people who are in the out group because it helps me refine my abilities as an individual. Because if you're not here because you have some, you know, fantasy and, and this kind of illusion of grandeur built around me, uh, then it helps me try to convince you to see things my way. And if I don't, then we kind of meet in the middle and I think it enhances my strengths. Um, Innovative, uh, absolutely. Um, I don't like micromanaging. Obviously, as the CEO of a, either for or a nonprofit, you have to sign off on almost everything that goes on. But I don't want ideas to just be mine. And I think the more of the the freedom you give to the people that are on your team allows innovation to really run through what you're trying to do. Um, I'm not looking for LICAP to die anytime soon. And the only way you're going to do that is by continuing to have innovative ideas. So um, really, I think that's the only way an organization will continue to grow is by people allowing to explore their 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 ideas and, and embracing the good ones and helping them to maybe either refine the bad ones or in a nice way, you know, move away from them. 
This episode is sponsored by the June 2020 cohort of The Leadership Experience, a coaching masterclass hosted by yours truly, the launch dad himself, George Andriopoulos. I am bringing you yet another cohort of our six-week intensive masterclass on leadership. You will find your purpose, you will carry it through into your personal mission statement, and you will use that mission statement to change the game. And that's what this is all about. Now, we still have our three add-on tracks, our career leader track, our entrepreneur track, and our popular public thought leader track for speakers, writers, social influencers, You know the deal, but guess what? We have added a fourth add-on track and it is our most robust track yet. The podcast experience track, which is co-developed and co-taught by my man, Mark Cordone from the Joy Revolution, from the Golden Mike podcast. We have teamed up into the super friends of podcasting, and we are about to break down some walls and teach our leaders how to build a podcast of their own. But it is not just the technical stuff. No, 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 no. This is much deeper. It is the deep dive into interviewing, into guest relations, into reaching your audience, into using your leadership to carry your mission through into your podcast message. Let's do this. The cohort starts June 1st. Registration is open. TheLeadershipExp.com. Get there. Tell them I sent you. I think it's very telling of who you are as a leader. And when we look at the success of the organization, you know, you guys have your golf outings, your galas, your your able to to just be out there constantly spreading awareness, spreading the brand and the more you spread the brand, the more you spread the awareness, the more resources the organization has, the more people they can help. And so sticking with that same theme of the leadership within the organization, because obviously it's not just your leadership, it's the leadership of everybody involved on the board and and, and then down that ladder. Um, you guys have some pretty innovative stuff that you do, and I'm always seeing uh, press releases about partnerships that are happening. Walk me through the evolution of an idea that's groundbreaking within LICAB. I'm going to take, for example, the concept of the smile package. Now, for those of you that don't know what this is about, the smile package is something, and correct me if I'm wrong, the smile package is something that the the LICAB organization will send out to a child that's been bullied once they've been contacted by somebody, and it includes items that are within the purview of that child, interests, hobbies, etc. Specifically... Yeah. Specifically, um, my daughter went through an issue. And honestly, and I was very honest with Joe when I reached out to him, um, it wasn't anything crazy. It was to us as parents, we looked at it and we were like, yeah, that's not okay. It was a a bus issue that could have escalated into something a little more. She didn't really realize that she was bullied, you know, but she came off the bus with ripped shoelaces and broken glasses and, and the whole thing and just, you know, laughed it off. But we needed to establish to her that that was bullying. That's a line you need to set. You need to understand that that's not okay for somebody to treat you like that. And Hey, I'm so glad that she's a tough, resilient kid and it didn't affect her, at least that we know of. But after explaining that to her, I wanted her to understand, yes, this was bullying. Yes. You got through it. Um, I want you to understand 
how to feel good after this. And so I reached out to Joe and they surveyed me a little bit about her interest. And sure enough, within a couple of days, she gets a package with, you know, theater tickets and this and that. And she was so ecstatic. And I'll tell you that she still remembers that to this day and really adjusted well to that situation. Hasn't had a problem since. So that that's what a smile package is about. And I'm, I was so thankful, by the way, you know, that you did that for us and for her. Um, but walk the audience through how an idea like that comes about, you know, within the organization. Uh, the smile packages actually I can't take credit for. Um, another uh, nonprofit that I am uh, was at the time affiliated with, they did uh, similar uh, uh, packages, and, and I loved the idea. They were doing them for cancer patients, um, you know, sending them what they called hope packages. Um, but I, I figured I, I reached out. I, I knew I was friendly enough with with a couple of their executive board members and their founder, and I said, "Listen," I said. I would love to be able to do this for kids that are getting bullied, I, I, but I didn't want to, you know, rip off somebody else's idea without, you know, their blessing. Um, you know, and we've made a lot of modifications to it, um, but the the root of that one was ours. I what uh, was theirs? Um, I think we look for a bunch of different things. I think the biggest one is who's it going to help? Uh, you know, look. One thing I've told everybody. We are never short on ideas. We've been very short on people to help us execute the ideas, um, which is a, a, a typical uh, growing pain. Um, but the idea of who you're going to help is one that needs to be solved immediately. I, I mean, I love ideas, but if you're not going to help a kid, you're not going to help a school, and you're not going to help the community at large, what, what's, what's the point of doing it? So that has to pass the first test. Obviously, I want to help the kids. So that's always the main priority, um, you know, uh, and then, you know, it's usually something that, you know, obviously goes through a board discussion and all that kind of mundane activity and, and you know, the, the, the sausage making and all that. Uh, but that really is kind of the biggest thing that we need to hit. Who's it going to help? How many kids is this going to help? Is this going to help one? And if it's only going to help one, you know, fine, because we, we the, the root of what we do is help one. And then after you've helped one, you move on to the next one and the next one, you know, you don't, you don't look to save 500 kids at one time. You know, you, you look to take one at a time and, and concentrate on them and give them, you know, the TLC as an individual because everybody's story is different. Um, but yeah, I, I, as far as a decision-making, there's no formal tree or anything. Uh, I mean, the clearer cut the idea is, the easier to execute on it is. Sure. But if it doesn't help a kid, it doesn't help a school, and it doesn't help the community at large, or further the conversation of bullying in a constructive way, then it's one I usually rule out, rule out right away. Right. I want to get a little bit into into the the subject matter at hand and how it affects the kids. Because with you guys doing what you do, it's an excellent resource, and we'll get into that a little bit after this, but it's such an excellent resource. But the fact of the matter is that bullying is happening and we as parents need to recognize it. We as adults need to set good examples. And so I want to get to the heart of the matter. I'm going to say some names. And after I say these names, I want you to tell me what is the first thing that comes to mind when I say these names, Brendan Carr, Angelo Colazzo, Matthew McCree, Quaden Bales, Thomas Valva. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear these names? 
unfortunate stories. Uh, in a couple of those kids' uh, stories, ones that had very unfortunate and extreme endings. Uh, but they, they all have one thing in common. They were all bullied kids. Yeah. Uh, some of these names are, are most of these names are, are children that lost their lives due to bullying in, in one way, shape or form. Um, some, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> some from peers, some from parents, um, and some that did not lose their lives, but were just heart wrenching things to look at you know, uh, videos that are out there. Um, and, and, you know, I know this is a trigger for some people. I know this, this kind of thing is tough to look at. We did an episode once that it was one of my, I think it was my first ever just rant episode where I canceled guests for the week because I was so outraged that within a week I had seen what happened with Thomas Valve. I had seen the videos of, of the young boy in Australia, Quaden Bales, um, and it, it broke my heart, you know, to my core. It just shook me, and I had to just get on my soapbox for an episode and and talk about it. But the if there's any good that comes out of these situations is that people gather around these situations, communities gather, communities support, and it just shines another light on what shouldn't be going on. So I want to talk about for a minute what we as adults should be doing, what we should be looking for. I heard an interview that you gave, which was an awesome interview, and you guys had talked about parents within this situation. Now, we're going to take out of the equation the people in that list that were died as the result of parents. Um, anyway, which is insane. Um, but parents are often the last to find out about bullying. Uh, and you guys were, I think you said you were involved in a study with Stony Brook University where it proved that within this survey, that within the survey that a friend was the first choice to tell in a bullying situation and parents were a, a distant second. Right. Um, so there are a couple of things there. The first one that I want to say is part of what I think our mission is, is all of those kids in one way or another got uh, a spotlight, rightfully so. What I try to stress to people and what we as an organization try to stress to people is that these are stories that are going on every day that don't get the spotlight. So we, we all need to remember that it's not a onesie twosie off thing where you can just say, oh my God, there was this tragedy and now we need to rally around it. And then after a while, it'll just kind of go back to normal because there are kids every day going through very similar circumstances that for all you know, will be the next headline. Our responsibility as an organization, as a, excuse me, as a society, is to make sure that the stories you don't hear today don't become tomorrow's headlines. Um, so, th so there's that. Um, as far as the parental role, uh, it's absolutely true. My own experience, uh, as well as the survey that we did, uh, almost by a two to one margin, uh, actually maybe even a three to one margin, parents were a distant, distant, distant solution to the problem. They are not going to go there. Uh, a lot of them fear that parental involvement will make the situation worse. And I won't lie. It probably will. It did in my case, but it is, it is a resource that cannot be excluded as part of the solution to the problem. Conversely though, Parents have to be engaged in trying to figure it out, too. 
you knowing, and I can't stress this enough, but knowing that kids aren't going to offer this information to you makes the parent's job even harder, which is why you need to be paying that much more attention to the changes in their behavior, the sudden illnesses they may all of a sudden develop, uh, the changes in their friends, the withdrawing from things that they like to do. Those are all telltale signs. And I get it. Everybody lives a busy world, a busy life in today's world. But those are the things that they're, you're only going to learn if you pick up on them. And then you've got to bring up the conversation in a constructive way. But then there's another flip side to that. It's the kids of the bully, which is part of the problem, is more often than not, you have kids who are being raised by parents who will never own the problem. They will, they will always bring up the idea of not my kid. And that doesn't do anything to bring a solution either. But there's a, a third side, which we're dealing with right now. In fact, in one of the moms groups on Facebook this week, I actually had to say something, uh, you know, and get on my soapbox and use my moral mantle as I kind of look at it. With the disagreements we have about, do we open up the economy? Don't we? Are you going to get vaccinated? Are you not? You know, we seem to have gotten into an environment where everything's black and white and you have adults who are mistreating other adults. Where do you think they learn it from? You can't say, oh my God, how do kids treat each other like this? And then go scroll through your own Facebook history and see the way you talk to other adults. So the parents have a tremendous role. I know a lot of parents don't want to look at things, oh, there's another thing to blame on the parents. But if people don't think that parents have a huge burden in this, both as part of the problem sometimes and as part of the solution. Where, what are we talking about? Yeah, yeah. Doing this is is a team effort, and that means that just like within an organization, it starts from the top down. Uh, you and I are are aware of these all of these groups on, on Facebook and on social media uh, where there's a large amount of people involved and, and people giving their opinions. And yeah, it's disgusting what you see sometimes. It really, really is. And it, it makes me so sad to see that other parents are are doing this kind of behavior and that their kids see that and know about it. If they're doing it on Facebook, what are they doing in real life? You know what I mean? And it, it scares me a lot because it promotes a culture of bullying. And just when we were getting smarter, right, we evolve over time. There are periods in time. You could clearly see it throughout like our evolution as people. You can clearly see these moments where we got smarter, where things changed, you know, um, where, where things that were bad just ended. And we were sort of getting to a period where, you know, the DNA of the human being became generally nicer or was heading in that direction. There was kindness that got ingrained in the DNA of human beings. And then now we have a new outlet. Well, new, you know, uh, over the, the, the grand scheme of things, but you have an outlet in social media where you can say whatever you want behind a keyboard. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, things just turn around again. And we're just like in the stone age, clubbing each other over the head. The one of the, the big things and I, I people ask all the time, one of the, the top five questions, will bullying ever go away? Look, my my pie in the sky answer to that would I love to be yes, but more than likely it's not. If you think about the evolution of bullying, it used to be what one person saw 
that told another person or one person did to another and that was it. You went on your bus, you went home, you shut your door, you escaped, you went back, maybe it started again the next day. But the evolution of what is and is not bullying has changed dramatically. You never were a lot of schools where it used to have their hands quite tied about what they could and could not get involved in. It used to be if the issue didn't start on school grounds or reach school grounds at some point or, or school property, schools couldn't touch it. Right. Now, because of social media, schools are very much in the ballgame with bullying wherever it's happening. Yep. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because the only way you're ever going to see a societal change in a decrease in bullying is by becoming a more respectful and empathetic society. If we cannot understand the golden rule that you don't have to like anybody, but you do have to respect everybody, if we can't get that concept down, then there will never be a change to any of that. If we are continuing to be a society that doesn't understand that the entire state of New York has been in quarantine for the last 60 days. It's not something just a couple of us are going through. Everyone hasn't been able to get a haircut, present company excluded. Uh, but all of those things, we've, we're all going through the same thing, and yet each one of us is going through it differently. So instead of understanding that each one of us is struggling and showing empathy to a story you don't know because you don't know what's going on in other people's houses, you're never going to, and that's empathy, understanding what you don't know, but you can kind of venture a guess. And when we go into schools, we talk about the invisible backpack, which is we all wear one, adults and kids. It's filled with all the things that are on our mind, weighing on our shoulders every single day that other people can't see. Doesn't mean you're not wearing one. It's filled with pets dying, failed tests, fights with loved ones, you know, deaths in families, anything that's weighing on your mind. Everyone's going through it. It's the responsibility of the people around us to say, I'm not going to make that life, that person's life more difficult because I'm sure they're already struggling with something that's only going to make their day that much worse. If we can't wrap our minds around the, the showing and demonstrating respect and empathy in all parts of society, then, 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 Really, what what are we doing here as a as a society? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you, a hundred percent. And and speaking to um, promoting positivity and showing by example, I want to talk about just a couple of things that Lycab has been doing. Um, you know, in order to to change the culture and not just deal with with these specific situations, you guys launched the Community Leadership Award, which is really about promoting. Positive reinforcement, uh, positive reinforcement for the kids that are doing the right thing, right, right, which is huge. Um, you guys have partnerships with some of the big boys. You you had a partnership uh, with Cohen's Children's Medical Hospital, which is so close to my heart. It's where my sister in law was was treated years ago before she lost her battle to cancer. Um, you formed a partnership with PM Pediatrics. You guys work with local officials for legislation, you know, to change uh, the way things are right now. Uh, you know, I, I can't say enough about the effort that you put in, Joe, and just as somebody that's within the same community that you live, um, you live down the block from the elementary school that I that I went to, um, you know, I can't say enough about how much good that you're doing in, in my community and, and our community. And, you know, I'm so appreciative of what you do, especially with uh, kids, you know, in the, in the district where you live. Um, it's so important for me for this culture to be within my community. 
this this change, this shift, this this move to goodness and kindness. You know, so uh, I know people probably you know thank you all the time, but I, I want to thank you personally for for what you do out there. You know, it's a big Thanks. deal. It's a big deal. Um, last question uh, specifically about bullying before we move on and start to wrap things up, um, and I think it's an interesting one. We're going to talk about COVID for a second. We're going to talk about the quarantine. Um, and without revealing anything personal uh, with people that you deal with and kids that you deal with, one of the things that I think a lot of adults are not taking into account when we talk about you know, whining and, and pissing and moaning about the situation that they're in when we're all in it is that kids that are not able to go to school right now Although some of those kids who were potentially bullied in school and now they're getting a little bit of a reprieve from it, there are kids that are home right now that are getting bullied at home, kids that do not have good situations at home and are now trapped in their homes 24 hours a day in bad situations where school was the reprieve. Are you seeing any of this and are you guys dealing with any of this? Uh, we thought we would have that, and we thought we would also see uh, an increase in cyberbullying brought about by the encouraged use of, of tablets and technology in order to employ distance learning. Um, we did not see too much of the cyberbullying. Uh, I am aware of some cases where you know there is a definite increase in anxiety and struggles of kids who are in tough home lives um, that have lost their outlet. Um, you know, and I think, uh, I, I think that that does play a huge role in the problem, um, for and against, um, those kids went to school for a positive reprieve and some of those kids went to school to change who they are and put that heaviness on somebody else. So that's also a result of why you're seeing maybe a, some downsides to bullying. I've always compared what's going on now to the summer. The summer is usually a very calm period. We have a couple of calls here and there, but it's nothing like when the school year starts. Uh, kids in the summertime are gravitating towards kids that they want to be around. Uh, in this case, you really can't be around anybody else. So that definitely is, is bringing it down. But I, I think that's where the part of the importance of the physical school environment is so important and why I, I, I am very objectionable to even floating the idea of never sending kids back to school and this whole distance learning, even in even close to being adopted as the new way of school. It's not just about education. It's about the relationships you forge. It's about learning to cope with things, you know, we, we, you know, on the one hand, you have a, all this psycho psychological studies that tell you about the dangers of prolonged exposure to screen time. And, and we talk about it all the time about how empathy is killed on a screen because it's easy to send a text and tell somebody, yeah. you know, to go kill themselves yep. because you don't see the pain you're causing on the other side. So if we know that, why would we ever advocate that a permanent solution to education now in a post COVID world would be just sitting in front of a computer all day long? You know, to me, that thing is ludicrous, and I, and I don't want to get too much into the politics of it, but, you know, the importance of the school environment is is so paramount to a lot of different things for and against. I mean, sure, would it definitely help bring bullying numbers down if kids weren't constantly exposed to each other? Absolutely. But you know what? The amount of good that comes from exposing to kids to each other 
is is more than the number of bullying cases we see. So you know, they're they're the the being stuck home is 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 definitely detrimental to kids. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. I want to move on, and then we will wrap things up. I want to move on to something outside of bullying. Uh, I want to. I want for our audience now that they've gotten to know your journey, the unconventional journey of Joe Salamone and how you got to the point that you are today. Um, I want them to learn a little bit about you outside of this executive director role and your VP role at work uh, and, and all of this good that you put into the world. And hopefully one day you'll come back and our next episode won't have to surround around bullying. We wanted people to get the baseline first. Um, I want to know and give me the the concise answer on this in like three sentences or less. Who is Joe Salamone outside of Lycab? Oh God! If, um, you, if you even know, because <laughs> we covered this a little bit. <laughs> uh, I would consider my the real Joe to be a, a caring and compassionate guy who uh, loves spending time with his family. Um, you know, loves to cook and bake. Anybody who does follow me on some social media accounts would know that. Um, uh, you know, I, I put a high premium on loyalty. I would consider myself to be a very loyal person and, and it's a currency I hold very valuable from other people as well. Um, you know, I like to have fun. I like to laugh. You know, I, I am a, what I guess most people consider to be a normal guy. Yeah, that, uh, that, you know, I, I, that's as concise as I guess I can be, especially since, you know, we already talked about the fact that, you know, my identity is kind of very much blurred. <laughs> I have four words written here in my notes, four words that I got from knowing you a little bit and from social media, baking, Christmas, family, Florida. Well, you know what? And Christmas, I can't. I didn't mention Christmas because it's impossible for me to cover Christmas in three sentences. So. That'll be the next episode. <laughs> we could do a whole two-hour episode just on my uh, my obsession with Christmas. Um, but yeah, you know what? Those are actually four very key words. Uh, I Florida is my vacation spot. It's where I am whenever I'm away. Uh, if I'm not in New York, I'm in Florida. Um, my cousins live down there. My sister is there. My 18-month-old niece is there. Uh, so it's it's definitely a, a home away from home. And when I am ready to step away from LICAB and start the next chapter of my life, it will be down there. Um, I love to cook and bake. Uh, you know, I I it's 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 something that's come very natural to me. Uh, so it's definitely a hobby. Um, some people have offered to you know give me seed money to start a bakery. It won't do it. It's got to stay something that's a hobby, not a job. Yeah. Um, but you know, those, those are four very good, very cool key takeaways. I try, I try. <laughs> very good. I want to ask you, um, tying these two uh, parts of your life together. Um, I didn't really ask you what your goals are, uh, overall long-term in terms of like have in terms of professional goals, but I would imagine that, you know, as a young adult, when we, when we start things off, that there is a desire to build something that matters, right? So let's make that assumption that that was one of the goals is to build something that really matters in life. I want to ask you, is this bliss yet right now, knowing that this is an organization that's been around for seven years, it's continuing to grow, it's doing, doing so much good, or does unfinished business take over the happiness and not allow you to feel satisfied? Absolutely the latter. Um, and I, I've talked to a lot of leadership coaches and, and everybody agrees. I'm sure you will too. 
I don't think enough of us ever actually give ourselves the due credit for the accomplishments we 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 achieve. Um, you know, I know in my own case, you know, we score a victory for a kid or for we, we make a new partnership or we do whatever we're doing at the moment. We, we, we notch one in the, the victory column and then that's great. But you know what? Success isn't built on celebrating things you've already done. It's moving on to the next best thing. But and I never give myself the ability to sit back and say, wow. I very seldomly look back and say, look at what I've created. In fact, the entire time I've been talking to you and listening to the type of questions, which are fantastic questions, that some of which I've never been asked before. Uh, and I'm kind of having this like introspective moment of like, wow, you created that. You know, I, I created the framework. It, you know, in seven years, other people have obviously had a hand in it. But, you know, it's it's it's. Um, it's definitely unfinished business. Um, I won't lie. I, in the beginning, it was never about a legacy. As we've gone on, the legacy is what definitely motivates me to keep striving to do more because, uh, you know, hopefully this will be something that survives after I'm not running and steering the ship. Um, but I think that to me is the major bar. If, if in, 10 years or so, whenever I, I've said, you know what, it's time for somebody else to be, because I've already made the decision. I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to become stale. I'm not going to go through founder syndrome when it's time, when I, when I know we've reached a point where I'm like, okay, it's now time for somebody else to make their mark. That's when I'm going to leave. Um, you know, and it's not going to be a, because my ideas and things and my direction has become old and tired. But when we've reached that point, if I know that somebody else is going to pick it up and keep it going, that's when I'll know that the unfinished business is done. Because for as long as this organization only survives while I'm the captain of the ship, that, that to me is not success yet. Success is when somebody else says, you know what, Joe, you go do you now. I got this for you. Agreed. And I want to speak to one point before we move on in that um, I, I take umbrage to those that don't understand why we sometimes as leaders have to put ourselves out there, why that brand has to be created, why we have to make sure that we're at the forefront, especially when we have founded something, when it's our idea that we own, right? Um, I think a lot of people, and I hope the, the audience can really understand this, I think a lot of people don't understand what the purpose of putting ourselves out there is. Um, you know, when we say that, we're not done yet and we're not satisfied and we still need to own this thing and control it until it's ready for the next evolution and why we put our faces on things. You know, as leaders, sometimes uh, an idea is like a child, you know, um, it, it's it's so close to your heart, especially when it's something like a nonprofit. Joe and I have this in common in that, you know, we both co-founded or founded organizations um, that are nonprofits. For me, with Shannon's Fight, co-founding it with these unbelievable human beings that are some of my best friends, we did some good out there in the world. You guys did some good out there in the world. And so if I'm going to use my resources, if I have to put my face on something in order to grow it and be the face of it, I have to do it. It's just what I have to do. I don't like it. I don't like boasting about everything that I put out there. You know, um, I'm sure you don't like when people are telling you that you're using this as a platform to grow your potential political career, right? When that couldn't be the farthest thing from the, that could be the farthest thing from the truth. You know, people need to understand that there's a process to an organization. And part of it is when you put your feet on the ground as the leader and say, 
I'll do it. I'll be the one that puts my face on this thing. You know, there, you know, obviously there are, there are selfish and personal motivations, but at the end, you know, I, I never set myself above anybody else. Uh, I, in fact, I had this conversation last week. There has never been a job that I will ever ask somebody to do as a paid staffer or as a volunteer that I have not done. You know, when it, when, when we first started, you know, I was the guy who built the website. I was the one who figured out how to accept credit cards. I was the one who figured out the, the applications, who licked the stamps, who mailed the envelopes, who wrote the letters, everything and everything in between and more. I think that's the mark of a leader as well, is you're never going to ask somebody to do something that you yep. haven't done yourself or wouldn't be willing to do again if you needed to. Um, but at the same time, I do think there's a difference between who, somebody who says, you know what, I'm going to give you five hours a week and the person who's giving the 80 hours a week. Yeah. Because I'm the one that goes to bed and wakes up in the morning with the decisions about what's going to happen. You know, what, what is this good for us? Is this not good for us? And I'm never a Monday morning quarterback. I try to make the best decisions I can with the information I have at that time. If I have to make a decision by five o'clock on Friday, if I don't have the information by then to make the decision, I'm making it without it. But I'm not going to on Monday morning turn around and say, you know what? I should have thought of it this way. You know, I, right. it, that's, that's not me. Um, you know, but when you have those type of responsibility, you know, that that's important. And that goes into the putting yourself out there and using your resources and, and boasting, I guess, as some people might argue. I mean, but I think that's that goes back to what your motivations for doing it are. If your motivation is if I turned around in two years and said, you know what, uh, city councilman is my next thing. I'm sure people would turn around and it would undo everything I have yep. done for the past seven years yep. because people would think that the motivation was really to do that the whole time. Yep. But, you know, when you're going to do that, you got to be prepared to, to take the hits from whichever way they come, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, not sometimes it is a very lonely place to be when when you're kind of, uh, you know, the one that signs off on everything, because you know what? Everybody's got the ability to turn around and say that wasn't my decision. But at the end of the day, it was mine. So, you know, yeah, well, I think people who are but you have to be willing to embrace that. And I and obviously as a leadership coach, you know that. And it's got to be something that gets taught to people that, you know, if you're not willing to take the hits when they come, then you're in the wrong business. Yep. It's lonely at the top. There's a reason they say that. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's move on. It's time for the big three. The big three from the launch cast. The big three is your top three. I'm going to throw out some some top as I throw out the number two, like an idiot. <laughs> Let's do that again. It's the big three. <laughs> this is your top three. I'm going to throw out some topics. You are going to give me your your quick, concise answers on the top three of each topic. Ready? Go. Top three Christmas movies, <sighs> Mister Christmas. Uh, and I will fight you on any of these, by the way. <laughs> I will fight you on this because Christmas movies are a passion of mine, too. <laughs> um, the Grinch. The uh -huh. Carrie one. Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And I would say... I didn't, wouldn't have said this years ago. I'll say it now because as an adult, I've come to appreciate it more. But It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, perfect. I, I said to myself, if he doesn't have It's a Wonderful Life, 
Miracle on 34th Street or or Christmas Vacation, one of those three in it, the interview's over. Done. <laughs> <laughs> good. So we're two for three. That's good. Correct. Yeah. Uh, favorite places, Joe. And when I say favorite places, this can be a, a locale or this could be just a place. I, I use this as an example every time I ask this one because it's one of my favorites to ask. Um, my, my kids are getting a little older now. They're going to be 10 and 12 in the coming month, both of them. Um, when we're on the couch watching a movie and and they fall asleep and the shoulder the head goes on the shoulder uh and it's very rare now but that is one of my favorite places to be on the planet so or this could be a locale um top 3 uh florida is definitely one of them obviously um our den at christmas um and uh Really, anywhere where I can possibly fit the most friends and family. Good answer. Uh, so the next one is a little a little deeper. Next one is bad words to the bullied. Uh, now this could be personal. This could be what you've learned uh, through your travels with Lycab. Um, are there are there three you know the top three words that stick out in your mind? Um, for a bullied child to hear? For a bullied child to hear, uh, can I do phrases? Yeah, this this could be something that, you know how sometimes just something makes sense to you and it might not translate well? This could be something that makes sense to me right now but isn't translating as well. But yeah, phrases is fine too. Uh, it's no big deal. Uh, Hmm. Definitely, it's no. I keep going back to that one. It's no big deal. Um, don't worry about it. Uh, or that didn't happen. I want to hear three cathartic moments that have come for you from Lycab's success. Hone in on that question for me a little bit more, just because. Okay. Like, help me narrow my scope. So, so I'm going to tell you that, you know, those, those that know me uh, know that I'm a public speaker, and I did years of keynoting and public speaking in the business world, which is my my actual business, right? Uh, being a management consultant. But when I got on stage for my first TEDx, it was the first time that I had given a personal talk that was really personal to me. And I said some stuff that was locked in the basement that I had never said out loud before, let alone to a room full of people or a sea of millions of YouTube uh, viewers. But I will tell you when I said these things, when I let them out of the basement, it was such a cathartic moment for me that those things were finally gone. I could let them go. When I found out that uh, one just happened a week ago and the other one happened the night of the May, uh, the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, mm-hmm. uh, my, it, I'll be concise, although they're both stories. Uh, the, the simple answer is I heard from two bullies from the years back uh, who went out of their way to make sure I knew that they were sorry for what they did. 
Wow. Um, and and to you know to to people who've never been through it, they may not understand why that is such a ground shifting moment. I've spent the last number of years and have made now a career and a life out of thing based on things that they did to me. But it's one thing to know that my experiences have done things, but it's it it's quite another to know that the people who cause those things have held on to what they did just as long as I have. And that it it's still such a point of their life that they had to go out of their way to apologize for it. The, the, uh, just the quick story about that, the, the fight night, uh, my bully, the, what, who I called the, the chief architect, he walked up to my father in a gas station, tapped him on the shoulder, asked him if he was my father, refreshed his memory who he was, and then said, I was never nice to him, and I just wanted to let you know and him know that I'm sorry for that. Wow. You know, uh, you know, it it threw me for days hearing that. And then two weeks ago to basically hear something else, because one of the other people in that clique who was never really, uh, you know, he never did anything on his own, but he also never helped. He was part of the clique. He egged it on, you know. So for him to now be the second person to come back and say, you know, just because his path crossed with another friend of mine now and and offer the same type of a similar apology it's like it's like wow you know That's you get to, you get to points in your life where you kind of feel like am i the only one who remembers it this way yeah but oh to yeah get validation from the people who caused it it's like it's not necessarily validation as it is freeing to the idea of you know it helps you own it and not only do you own it and say yes this is my story but it also helps you get to a point where you're like this is my story and in some way shape or form it's okay now let me ask you a sidebar from the big three and i and i i think i only want the one word answer on this because it'll be powerful either way have you forgiven them yes yeah that 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 gave me chills honestly you saying that um uh having gone through some major stuff, you know, in my own life, um, taking bullying out of it. Once you kind of get to that moment where even if you've done stuff and I'm talking to bullies out there too, um, you've done stuff that you're not proud of. Once you have dealt with it, you've, you know, taken the consequences, um, taken those lumps and, and, and admitted to it and can kind of get through it and then get to the point where not only can you be forgiven, but that you can forgive yourself, man, it's cathartic. Uh, not only do I, uh, yes, I obviously have forgiven them, but not only have I forgiven them for what they did, but I also, in an odd way, and again, you, most people probably won't understand what I mean by this unless you've lived something similar, but to an extent, I almost feel like I owe them a little bit of gratitude in a way, in a, in a very sick and twisted way. I can see it. Um, because those things that they did had such a profound, at the time, negative impact on my life. And in, in some cases, almost cost me my life, that my life has a whole new direction and a purpose now because of what they did. You know, I'm able to do what I do every day and 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 run something that hopefully helps kids because of experiences I lived with that I am trying desperately and we are trying to desperately 
hope that those the kids of today don't have to live through things like that. Yeah. You know, but I wouldn't have that ability to relate and show empathy to people that I don't know if they hadn't done what they did to me. Yeah. So, you know, while obviously I would never go around and, and try to get kids to understand that, you know, maybe this is all happening for a reason, because in a lot of people's cases, their bullying is not going to be their life's def definition. But what I do want them to understand is you will eventually at some point get to a point in your life where you may be wanting to forgive them and it's okay that you do it. Yeah. Yep. Great advice. Great advice. Last one on the big three. Top three yet to be achieved goals of LICAB. Top three. <laughs> uh I would like us to get into more schools. Uh, I obviously would like people to know that they have the comfort to trust us more. Obviously, so many have, but you know, with 156 school districts on the island, there's plenty more kids out there. Um, and you know, just to just to help as many kids as we can. That's always going to be an unachieved goal. But yeah. you know, that that's, that's kind of what keeps us getting up every day is knowing that that's a goal that we probably won't ever have a period at the end of. And you know what, in some way that's disheartening, but in some ways that's very positive because you know, when you can't put a period at the end of a sentence or you can't list a goal, that means you still get to strive for it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, real quick, we're going to get into the spark moment of the week. And this week, it's going to be about something that's short and sweet for me, something that we've covered in this interview a little bit. And I'm speaking to the adults out there. I'm speaking to the adults that were bullies, that are bullies, that have been bullied, the adults that are parents. And the message is just this. The message is just about being conscious of your choices, being conscious of kindness, being conscious of negativity. We look at bullying sometimes as a very one-dimensional thing. Some of us as adults, we define bullying is when one kid picks on another kid. And there are some adults out there that honestly I know that believe that bullying doesn't exist in the adult world. And they couldn't be farther from the truth. As a father, I wanna make sure that my kids understand that that kind of behavior is not okay. And why I say that be kind of behavior is because the behavior is sometimes a direct result of how a parent is behaving. And so how we act in front of our kids matters. How we act as adults matters in this world. Making smart and kind choices down to the silliest thing. One of the things that I really try to work on and it scares the hell out of me sometimes because I see my kids do it to each other sometimes and it, and it upsets me a little bit, is just as simple as when you're having a conversation with somebody and you don't think they're right, you don't have to make them feel like a moron. You, know? you don't have to go out and make the biggest deal about them being wrong and then spend your entire next five minutes trying to prove to them why they're wrong and why they're an idiot. As it's as simple as that. It's as simple as how we act towards one another, how we promote kindness, how we act on social media 
one of the biggest problems right now that I even see in bullying. My daughter's in sixth grade. I'm like mortified at what the rest of uh, middle school is going to look like for her with Snapchat and Instagram and 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 TikTok and just all these new platforms for them to be able to <laughs> bully each other. Um, it starts at home. It starts at the top. It starts with the adults, and it wor- it works its way down. And so. I'm just saying to be kind, you know, and I and I try and take that advice myself. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. Joe mentioned that before. And uh, it's something that we really need to work on in order to not eradicate bullying because, you know, it's not going anywhere, but um, we can do our part, right? And so uh, I want to thank my friend Joe Salamone for being here today. My friend, I appreciate it very much. Thank you very much for having me. I this is probably one of the best interviews I've done in a while, and you know what? Because it didn't feel like an interview; it felt like a conversation. I, that, that's that's what makes it the best. Thank you, buddy. I'm excited to hear that, guys. We'll see you next week. Another great episode. Tune in every Monday morning, 6 a.m. Spotify, Apple Podcast, Pandora. Tune in iHeart. You know the deal. We'll see you next week, guys. Thank you. Launch sequence terminated. Into the black hole. Thanks for listening to the LaunchCast today. Please make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, at Launchpad CEO on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And make sure to visit our website, guys, thelaunchcast.com. Looking forward to the next episode. See you soon, guys.